Sinners on Strike Against God. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Labor stoppages have been in the news lately. The striker's goal is to force management to change its ways. Well, many people seem to have a similar strategy for dealing with God. If everyone is a sinner and God wants to have anyone in heaven, well, he's just going to have to capitulate to our demands and let sinners in. Uh, No, that kind of thinking comes from the spirit of Antichrist, as Jim began to explain yesterday. How could a God of love allow suffering and pain in his world? Is he in control or isn't he? Is he God or isn't he? If he is, why is evil and darkness and pain permeating his world? That question goes to the heart of opening every system of religion, every sect, every philosophy that you're going to face. It basically asks the question, what do you think of God and how unique is he in your system? And tell me about man and what's his key problem? Now, John then takes us through a series of tests. Depending upon you line them up, there's there's three or there's five. You make your own list. We'll look at them briefly. And then we're going to take a look at how the God who is light answers these truths, these realities in the human condition. Now, notice with me, please. Let's start with verse 8. If we say... We have no sin. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, the root problem is darkness, sin. And what this verse suggests is there are people who deny that they have sin in themselves. See it? If we say we have no sin, that is, within us there is no sin, then we're deceiving ourselves. That's what the Bible says. All of us are born sinners. That means more than the fact that we do sinful things. All of us are born male, female. Those are different ways of being human. A male doesn't act like a female or shouldn't. And a female doesn't act like a male or shouldn't. God established those two distinct differences. Now, when a male does what a male is supposed to do, He is being male. But what he does flows out of what he is. A sinner commits sins because he is a sinner, not because society around him causes him to sin, not because he doesn't have enough education to know the difference, Not because he doesn't have enough economic resources to change himself. He sins because he is a sinner. 
The root problem is I am full of darkness. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. I am darkness. In me, there is no light at all. You deny that, and you're just deceiving yourself. You're refusing to face the truth. The truth is not in you or in us or in any body of believers who call men essentially good. That's the first test. I was reading recently in Time magazine a very impressive article about a whole system of religion and a whole church, church, put that in quotes, church, that's called the Latter-day Saints. In the article, in bold print, it says, the Mormon faith does not believe in original sin and the depravity of the human heart. Okay, what does that tell us about the Mormon faith? Is it of Christ or Antichrist? Antichrist, period. They're deceiving themselves. Now, what's the next test? Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, that means if we, conf- if we say that we have not expressed sin in conduct, thought, character, then we make him a liar. The him there is God. We're calling God a liar. God says, all have sinned. You say, I have not sinned. You are saying, God is a liar. And his word is not in us. That is, the revelation, the understanding, the knowledge, the truth about yourself that God has declared is not operative in you. I have not sinned. Now, this cuts two ways. First, it cuts in relationship to people who are not Christians and who redefine sin and say they do not not need a Savior, they do not need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because they pay their taxes, they're good people, they're moral people, they're surely better than some who go to church. Therefore, they have not sinned in such a way as to incur the wrath of God. God owes them whatever salvation he has on their terms because they merit it. Therefore, they don't need the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's also a more subtle form of this same denial. And that's the body of Christians, people who preach and teach and understand the Bible to be the word of God, and yet they claim that through a mystic experience, they have come to a state in life where they are perfect, where they no longer do sin. They do the same thing that the unsaved perfectionist does. They redefine sin. They express a different definition. They lose their cool and say some unkind things. Ah, you say, that's anger. No, that's righteous indignation. No, it's really anger. It's really anger. And what you find if you brush up close to these dear friends is a, is a degree of icy 
um, legalism. They have gone through all the possible activities, categorized those that are really sin-sin and those that are not quite as bad. And they will allow themselves and permit themselves some of the things over here. Pride, gossip, on the list goes. But the grosser things, the things that we would all more generally jump on, drunkenness, those kinds of things, those things they have overcome. Now, now hear the test. If we say we have not sinned, we have not committed sin, we're calling God a liar. It's truth that's not in us. Now go back, please, back up to verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. We are liars. God is light. Anything less than light in my conduct and in my heart disqualifies me from being in fellowship with God, sharing with God. The darkness in my conduct, the deeds that I do that are wrong and not like God, belie my claim to fellowship with God. There are folks who believe that they are saved, believe that they know God, believe that they are in right terms with God, and yet they practice and do things that are clearly declared to be wrong in the Scripture. I think of that story of the young student who was in seminary and went to his professor and said, Prof, I found the, the most perfect woman. She would make a model helper for me in the ministry God's called me to do. And I'm so excited. She loves me, and I love her. And there's just one problem. Well, what's that, son? Well, I, I can't figure out how to scripturally get rid of my present wife. You got the picture. That, that really happened. That's not fictitious. That, that really happened. Here, here's a young man who claims to walk with God, claims fellowship with God, and yet is contemplating and cultivating a clear work of darkness, walk of darkness. And yet he wants the professor to show him how, you see, to make black darkness seem like light how to do something that is totally contrary to God's word and make it appear as if it is blessed by God. Now, faced with this, we can conclude some things. We can conclude that sin is a human problem. It does not originate in God. It's a problem that I have, not a problem that God has. It's not a problem that God gave me. It's a problem that's outside 
the character and conduct of God. God does not traffic in darkness. I am a sinner. I do sinful things. When I do sinful things, I cannot at the same time claim fellowship with God. Now, in despair, some people will just throw up the towel and say, okay, then we might as well sin and God will have to accept us as we are. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. John says, I'm writing these things to you, brothers and sisters, that you sin not at all. That phrase there, that you sin not, in chapter 2, verse 1, is a parallel phrase to what it says about God in verse 5. God is light, in him is no darkness at all. I'm writing to you, brothers and sisters, that you sin not at all. John is not giving us any room to excuse deliberate sin in our lives. The Christian faith does not say, you're sinners, come to Christ, trust him as your personal Lord and Savior. Now that you're saved, go live the life that you want to, and eventually it'll all work out. That's not what the Christian faith says. The call of the cross, the call of the gospel is, come to Jesus Christ because you are a sinner. Come to him because you have done things that separate you from God. Come to him as a citizen of darkness and trust him. He is able to make you a child of light. And all those things that brought the judgment of God upon you before you came to Christ, God wants to empower you to be victorious over those things after you have met Christ. That you sin not at all. That should be the heartbeat and aspiration and desire of every believer. That my life is free from darkness. That my life is full of light. That my life is free from sin and its power. And my life is liberated to righteousness and godliness and truth. That's what the Christian faith is all about. It's not come and God will give you an insurance policy, then go live like the devil and eventually go to heaven anyway. That's not what the Christian gospel said. The Christian gospel says you are a prisoner to your sin, and your sin is hurting you, and it's hurting those around you. It's contrary to nature. It's contrary to the way God created us, and you're going to pay a terrible, terrible, terrible price for your sin. God doesn't want you to pay that terrible price. He wants to deliver you out of the power of sin and darkness and set you free and fill you with light and joy and peace and righteousness. Stop sinning. Stop excusing sin in your life. God has not left you powerless 
He has connected you with himself so that the very life of God, which is always light-bearing, the very life of God is infused into you by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Granted, until you meet Jesus Christ in the resurrection, you will always have the struggle because you will always have the sin nature. It is never eradicated in this life. So you will always have the propensity, you will always have the encouragement of the world of darkness around you to behave darkly. And you will always have an inner urge to do what you know is wrong. But you also have the Holy Spirit living in you, and he has come to empower you to walk in the light. Therefore, I write to you that you sin not at all, not even once. Stop excusing what you know God disapproves in your life. That's the only way you'll have fullness of joy. It's the only way you'll have peace. It's the only way you'll grow to become the person God wants you to be. Now, what resources has God put to work in order to have this happen. Look at the wonderful things that God has provided. It tells us in verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all, write it down, all, notice it, all sin. The solution to sin isn't trying harder. The solution to sin isn't getting a new standard of conduct. Not new resolutions. The solution to sin comes from the resources of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. At the cross at Calvary, Jesus Christ, God the eternal Son, made flesh, took upon himself both your sins and your sin. He both became a payment for the things that you had done, and he became identified with you in the person, in the individual sense, that you became he and he became you at the cross of Calvary. He became your substitute. And through the blood, Jesus Christ died a death, offered up his life as a substitute for you and me. And the secret to overcoming sin and sinfulness is to be close to the one who gave his blood. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So our focus ought to be to walk in the light as he is in the light, to take our model from him, to make our ideals his ideals. Look with me, please, at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This verse says that my response to sin that I find in myself 
is to confess. The word confess means to agree, to say the same thing. To stop deceiving myself by giving sin all these other labels that make it seem okay. To make my sin conduct acceptable. Stop changing the labels. Call it by its rightful name. Use the terms that God uses. And when you're doing things that God targets as being sinful, use God's terms and agree with God that that activity is what you're contemplating or what you just did. That activity is clearly wrong, and you were wrong for doing it and you are in your own flesh helpless to overcome it, and that you need God to empower you and to forgive you. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and righteous. Notice that. God does not forgive me my sins and cleanse me of my unrighteousness, because he's kind. Now hear me. God does not forgive me of my sins because he's love. Uh-uh. God does not forgive me of my sins because he likes me. Uh-uh. The forgiveness of my sins and the power to overcome their hold in my life is rooted in the character of God. He is faithful. He is just. Faithful to what? To himself. Just means righteous. If God doesn't forgive and cleanse me of the sin I confess, God ceases to be righteous. God ceases to be light. God has to forgive me and cleanse me when I confess or he ceases to be God. That's what this verse is saying. To confess, literally to say with, it's a powerful force in a world that refuses to call things by their real names. And confessing is the essential thing we have to do, says the Apostle John, to receive the forgiveness that Jesus already paid for. We're right in the middle of Jim's sermon from 1 John, Beware of the Antichrists. We'll hear the conclusion tomorrow. The entire talk is available uncut on CD for your gift of $7 or more. To get the three discs in our quick series, We Can Know Some Things For Sure, please send a gift of $15 or more. It's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness, as we've heard. And you're doing that if you're praying for or contributing to Right Start. You're keeping this candle lit. Thank you for that. And to everyone, would you prayerfully consider becoming part of this ministry family? Please mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Or call us during business hours at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. Find us on the internet at rightstartradio.org. There's a secure way to donate online. 
And we've made the website a virtual warehouse of teaching material. We've uploaded years' worth of radio shows, so you can play those from your computer. Or you can play or download Pastor Jim's complete sermons without the broadcast edits. And you can listen to Right Start as a daily podcast. We give you a simple link at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Jesus' role as our advocate is not like the image we may have from watching TV lawyers. Jim will talk about how real justice works in heaven on tomorrow's edition. We hope you'll come back for Thursday's Right Start. (music) 